0: Welcome to heaven, this is Under Consultation, an episode-by-episode podcast-type situation through the UK's greatest video game challenge TV show, Games Master, I am one of your hosts Luke Owen, and it takes a lot to stir my regions,
2: and allegedly wearing a t-shirt that says I'm fantastic at combos and then some, I am Ash Versus. This episode aired on the
0: 26th of October 1995, Mortal Kombat 3 remains top of the console chart, Simply Red's fairground is top of the pops one more week. But we've got a brand new number one at the top of the UK box office. It's Mortal Kombat.
2: In each of us, there the fury of a warrior. In every generation, a few are chosen to prove it. One of you three will decide the
3: outcome of the tournament. Three strangers <laughs> will travel to the mystical realm of Outworld
1: to defend our people against Shang Song. You
0: will die and his forces of darkness.
2: Or oh, is it? Because, like you, I do my research, like you, I go online and I look at the list of the UK number ones for certain weeks. Mortal Kombat is no longer listed as the number one film on Wikipedia. It's been changed like in the last week or so, because like, sure, I made my note on this last week. The last two weeks, it was changed, and it is now Pocahontas, and it references Variety Magazine's overseas box office section as its source. So Luke, we have a conundrum here, because on one hand, we have a film that we love very much, Mortal Kombat. And on the other hand, we have a film that I don't want to touch with a plastic fishing rod, because (laughs) boy, howdy, when you want to talk about problematic Disney films, Pocahontas, it's not quite Song of the South, but it's not that
0: great. There's a really good video essay on it released by Lindsay Ellis. I don't actually know if she deleted all of her videos after she decided to quit YouTube. Uh, but if it is still there, I would go and check it out because it's a, a very interesting history behind Pocahontas, because that was the film that Disney thought was going to be their big prestige picture. The Lion King was sort of like this film that was just shoved to the side because they you know they were like, but it'll do okay. But Pocahontas, that's the one that's going to get us all of the awards and all the acclaim. And in the end, it was very much the other way around. Lion King was this huge movie for the massive selling soundtrack, all the awards and everything. And Pocahontas came out and everyone was like,
2: "Ah, uh, it's actually, it's not that great, to be honest. It, it's not that great. And it's not very historically accurate, even by Disney standards. It's very simplified, very gentrified, very pg No one's face is being skinned and being burned at the stake. None of that stuff is happening. John Smith is being portrayed as a very amiable, likely man. Realistically, he was kind of a... Authoritarian dickhead. I mean, Pocahontas wasn't even her real name, it was a nickname. So, yeah, up until a week or so ago, we thought the number one film was Mortal Kombat. I even teed it up in last week's episode. Turns out we may have been wrong, but Luke, would you rather we we kind of skirt more around Pocahontas or shall we just go with what we originally planned and talk about Mortal Kombat? I
0: mean, I've said pretty much the only interesting thing I have to say about Pocahontas, which is my little fact about the popularity of the movie. But I do have my document open for the Mortal Kombat release, I thought I would read you a passage from my tome uh, about how the film was received when it came out. You wrote a book. I did, I did yeah. I, I don't like to bring it up, uh, you know, that often. But, um, you know, if some people want to buy it, it's, it's available online. Um, but I thought I'd read you the, the the section of the book about its release.
2: I was going to say, your book is even now available in emoji form.
0: <laughs> it's on our Discord channel. Links to that in the podcast description. Uh, so this is from a section that was titled, I've never seen numbers like this. Friday night of a producer's life is always tough. Larry Kasnoff recalls of the movie's release. And then I got a call from the head of New Line who said, I've never seen numbers like this. This is unbelievable. Mortal Kombat was released on the 18th of August, 1995, obviously in the US, to an impressive 23.2 million opening weekend, knocking Dangerous Minds from the number one spot. And although it dropped to 10.3 million the following weekend, Mortal Kombat retained the number one spot, beating Robert Rodriguez's Desperado, and it would even retain the number one spot for another week, beating Two Wong Fu, Thanks for Everything, Julie Numa. The movie broke records, Kasnoff recalled, it broke August records, it broke opening day records, it stayed number 1 for 3 weeks, which is almost unheard of nowadays. Not only would the movie also be number 1 in Canada for 4 weeks and would earn a total of $114 worldwide, Mortal Kombat the official soundtrack was a platinum seller, but there was one person who wasn't around to see the initial success of the movie. I basically ran away, Paul W.S. Anderson admits. I didn't want to be in LA when the movie opened in case it didn't work, so I went on holiday to Hawaii and then was very frustrated because the film was a giant hit. But I made my bed, and I had to lie in it. Fortunately, the bed was in Hawaii, so it wasn't so bad. Uh, Reviews for Mortal Kombat were also fairly positive, many of which praised the film's effects. Variety's Leonard Clady wrote that an arsenal of special effects teams unleashed some dazzling fun eye-poppers, while the best of the fights have a visceral tension one can almost taste, while Stephen Holden of the New York Times said Mortal Kombat feels like a high-tech funhouse. However, Empire's Kim Newman wrote, by the time the big world saving bout comes around, it's hard not to wish that Shang Tsung would settle the fate of mankind asking Liu Kang what the capital of Venezuela is, rather than engaging in yet another round of supernaturally assisted dirty fighting. As Anderson recalled, Newline sent over all the press, and I put them on the floor of my apartment, and there were two stacks of paper of identical heights. Newline had split them into positive press and negative press, and I would say it was about a 50 50 split, and I read everything, because that was back in the day when I was so excited that anyone would write anything about anything I'd done. And that was the last time I ever did anything like that. Because for the life of me, I couldn't remember one good thing anyone had to say about me or the movie. All I could remember were the horrible things. And I think it's probably human nature. I know people did say good things, but all I could remember were the really horrible things. One person who was not looking to reflect on the success of Model Kombat was Larry Kasanoff, who was instead focused on the next part of his transmedia project. The day after Model Combat opened, I flew to the upscale mountains of New York to rehearse the Model Kombat Radio City Music Hall show. The day before the movie opened, we had a TV special on TNT, and I was already planning the sequel and the TV series. We had this planned, we had promised this. So it wasn't like the movie came out and we had a party. We started work on the next projects. Man, what a workhorse. But yeah, I would say that a lot of that rings true, you know, with what Anderson was saying. It did feel like it got fairly mixed reviews. There were people who got on board with it, mostly because of those special effects. But there were a lot of people that were like, yeah, but it's also bobbins though, isn't it? Because it's just big smashy fighting stuff
2: and we'd also kind of as i guess um a film going crowd had really burnt out on a lot of that in the 80s with the the kind of the golden van damme era you know i mean we we've talked a little bit about what was it hard targets and other stuff which was kind of right at the tail end but you also had like your double impacts you had your kickboxers one two three four there there were there were a lot of them and and There was your Chuck Norris's, your Dolph Lundgren's, the influx of Jackie Chan movies, which were being poorly dubbed. Even also your Sammo Hung's and just all that stuff. We'd kind of been there, done that. I am amused how much the special effects get noticed because I think the sets and the practical effects in Mortal Kombat look great. I think some of the fight sequences look great. But there's one bit that doesn't, and you know what I'm going to mention. And that is Reptile looks like a big CGI piece of shit
0: yeah and i think the uh the vagina opening up on scorpion's hand as the the spear comes out of it is like it is i think they have dated poorly but we've actually you know seen on games master in the promos that they've done for this talking about like how good the special effects are i don't really recall at the time whether i'm thinking they were or not but you know at the same time i remember thinking that toy story was a game changer in terms of like how it looks But if you look back at it now, it actually is quite wooden at times. And, you know, it's not as great as Pixel would go on to be, which, you know, makes sense because it's their first foray into this. So I think it is a case of that they have dated poorly and they have dated quite poorly. Whereas, like
2: you mentioned, Goro, I think still looks great. It's the same as the Ninja Turtles animatronics. You know, they they look as good now as they did then. If they were well made animatronics, not much has been done to surpass it. You know, mostly the way that animatronics can be surpassed now is by CGI assistance. I'm looking at you, Grogu, or just kind of like little things. It's like blinking motions. Go with an animatronic for the most majority of the puppet, but maybe get some CGI touch-ups for blinking, eye tweaks, mouth curls, things that maybe just kind of can't be done with cables or servos. But I'll be honest, I don't remember thinking that the hand vagina looked bad but i do remember just seeing this the reptile and just going Meh. same same as no one looked at the mighty morphing power rangers movie and thought those zords looked good you know mm-hmm. they they looked exactly as they were which is like sub lawn mower man sub reboot i i've been rewatching a bunch of reboot recently for various reasons some of which will you will know about by the time you hear this but um those first two seasons are rough
0: yeah very much so Um, I've actually got a little quote here I'd like to read you about Reptile, uh, that Reptile fight in particular, because that basically came out of a reshoot that they did, like when they did the test screenings of it and one of the reactions was so positive, New Line were like cool, here's some more money, go and do some more stuff, so what Anderson wanted to do was extend out a lot of the fight scenes and one of those was the Reptile fight. Uh, The book reads here Anderson extended out the fight between Sub-Zero and Liu Kang and added a whole new fight between Liu Kang and Reptile. In the original game, Reptile was a secret character that was unlocked for a special fight, but in the movie was represented by a CGI creation that follows Liu Kang around, that is until he's thrown into a statue that absorbs him and he dies. And the audience felt cheated, they wanted to see a Reptile fight, Anderson recalls speaking of the popularity of the secret character. We did a focus group, this guy who was about 18 years old said, you know it would have been great if the statue came to life and then attacked Liu Kang, and I went, wow that's a great idea so we took that guy's idea and we shot it
2: that 18 year old wasn't wrong because i don't think i saw that happening and went well that doesn't make any sense because also we're in outworld it's kind of weird reptile gets thrown into this thing he comes back he looks like a pallet swapped sub-zero or scorpion because hey guess what that's what he was and then they had a fight by that point we've already crossed across realms we've already met the god of thunder who apparently loves hot dogs and baseball and apparently can play Mortal Kombat. Debatable. Mm -hmm. And we've also already seen fatalities. We've already had hand vaginas and we've already met Goro and seen him being punched in the nads. So CGI lizard becomes palette swapped Sub-Zero? Sure. Why not? Exactly.
0: And I kind of get the idea as well that, you know, they if you had gone to the movie as a fan of more combat like i remember the schoolyard chatter of reptile and reading like things like games master magazine and things like that that was talking about the reptile fight the secret reptile fight in the game in this that, and the other and then trying to you know get that at home and if i had seen this movie and all reptile was in the movie was that cgi creation that you then never see again i probably would have been like oh that's disappointing but what we ended up getting was, uh, you know, another fight, which absolutely satisfied uh, the audience. I, th- However, that is a slight mistake that comes with Mortal Kombat Annihilation, which is just like, oh, you know, we've got seven characters here. How about 30 characters? And they'll all have fights. And by the end of you, will be like, I'm quite tired of these lads fighting now.
2: You've also just nailed on the head my issue with uh, Resident Evil. Welcome to Raccoon City. Oh, yeah. Too many characters whatever its flaws and we're talking about W.S. Anderson so it does all tie in that first Resident Evil it clips along it's 90 minutes you're introduced to the core characters there's some nods to the games but it just happens as a film welcome to Raccoon City there's at least three different plot lines it's mixing bits together from Resident Evil 0, 1 and 2 and it's it's a hot mess it looks okay I actually think the movie itself doesn't look as cheap as the trailers made it look but it still just lurches from, from one scenario to another, and there is some really, really misplaced attempts at humour, and some characters that are just meant to be dickheads who suddenly have a good side and are cracking jokes. It yeah. And Annihilation was well, it was unfinished. It was, yeah. Well we can get to that when we reach it in
0: our timeline. I think that also gets to the UK number one position. It was a it was a success as Larry Kasanov tells me. God knows how. <laughs> I know, right? The problem you had there with uh, Raccoon City was kind of the problem I had with the Eternals as well. There was a moment when I was watching the Eternals where I was like, God, they've introduced a lot of characters into this. And then all of a sudden, all the characters look to each other and was like, we well, have got to go get Blorto. And I'm like, "What? Well, fucking hell, there's another one of you. And then they go and find Blorto or whatever his name is. And then they go like, well, we need to go get Shango. And I'm like, there's, can't stop
2: introducing characters into this movie. Hang on. I've not seen the Immortals. Papa Shango's in this. <laughs> yeah
0: it would have improved it somewhat
2: <laughs> yeah, i see i would like if it tell me that papa is going to turn up in a marvel movie i'm there uh some bits from the world
0: of music and tv blind melon shannon hoon is found dead of a cocaine overdose at the age of 28 on october 21st on the 23rd of october channel 4 launches Hollyoaks.
1: meet kurt he breaks bikes cars rules
0: and a lot of hearts Hollyoaks starts Monday the 23rd on Channel 4. On the same day that Def Leppard entered the Guinness Book of World Records by performing three shows in three continents in the same day. And lastly, 24th of October, Smashing Pumpkins released Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness, further proof that double albums aren't a good idea, in my humble opinion. Fair. Because there's a lot to like about Melancholy and Infinite Sadness, but there's an awful lot of butt that's on there just to
2: fill it out being a double album. It's the White Album problem. Now, yeah. I'm a big Beatles fan and I will listen to the White Album in its entirety, including Revolution number no. nine. But if you didn't mind dumping a few songs, you could make a really solid single album out of it. Absolutely. It's the only double album that the Beatles did, like of original material, and it shows. Conversely, George Harrison's first solo album, which was a double, wall-to-wall bangers. They should have trusted him more. But anyway, sad to be reminded about uh, Shannon Hoon because I I really like Blind Melon. Uh, Mm. I I still do now because also, didn't he guest appear in a Guns N' Roses song? Yes, that was it. He sang uh, backing vocals on Don't Cry and appeared in the music video for it. And I think there was another song as well. I would have to look it up and I actually can't be bothered. But yeah, so he kind of ties into where my musical tastes were. And I think maybe it was listening to Guns N' Roses that led me to Blind Melon. It might have actually
0: jumped that way. It's been added to the list of albums that I need to check out with the kid when I'm having my album time with her. Which one? Blind Melon? Well, just sort of like brackets general, because it's, it's not an avenue I have gone down previously. And this is the other thing I'm using with my sort of album time I have with a kid is to listen to albums that previously I hadn't listened to in full or even at all.
2: Yeah, I was going to say, um, if you're thinking the Guns N' Roses stuff, use your illusion one and two, mm, just cherry pick that. Maybe just go for a best of album. That's what I've
0: heard from Guns N' Roses fans, that there is a one really good album amongst them. And I think it's the same for System of a Down's Hypnotize and Mesmerized. There is one good album in there, but you split it across two and made two pretty average albums.
2: I mean, other than just mentioning George Harrison, I'm trying to think of a double album that I genuinely just think is like wall to wall great, excluding live albums because live albums are often doubles. And excluding, I guess, things like, I mean, actually, no, not excluding things like Pink Floyd's The Wall or Jeff Wayne's War of the Worlds. But then again, there's a narrative, there's a story there. So that makes sense. But actually, filling a double album with original material into individual songs. Mm, let us know send us feedback what you think good double albums are from the entire history of music because genuinely i want to be proven wrong on that one so we've got george harrison all things must pass that's the current level of you know great double albums and i'm sure there'll be complaints about me saying that the white album wasn't all that and a bag of crisps well, I mean, those people are wrong because you are right. No, no, it's a matter of opinion, but I'm
4: right. It takes a lot to stir my regions, but tonight I am stirring, where we begin the GamesMaster annual football tournament, an event that makes the FA Cup look like some kick around in an unfashionable public park. This week also sees the release of Killer Instinct on the Super NES. We'll take a look at that version later on, but for now, we'll stick like batter to the superior arcade
0: version for our first event, which we call King Combo. Ash, the annual football tournament returns, and apparently it's better than the FA Cup. Would you, would you say that the annual football tournament on Games Master, because this is
2: our third,
0: fourth one? Uh, now, yes, yeah, it's our fourth one. Do you, do you think it's been better than the FA Cup?
2: Uh, yeah, because each one only lasts about three weeks.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to say it's better than FA Cup 1995, um, for obvious reasons. Uh, but yeah, you know, I've I've enjoyed the tournaments thus far, and this is a really exciting tournament as well because now we're in like the full 3D age of things. We've now seen a nice progression going from 16-bit FIFA games through to last season getting it on the 3DO.
2: Now we're in the PlayStation era of this tournament. Although I will say. You feel like as we advance in technology, maybe the quality of gameplay should advance. But spoilers for this first round. Yee!
5: <laughs>
0: <laughs> but this is also a massive episode of the show because we're going to be looking at that SNES port of Killer Instinct and playing the arcade version. So like, what I've been really enjoying about these intros for Series 5 thus far is that Dom is like stacking it. It's almost like a wrestling show telling you all the matches that are coming up on the card later on tonight. And you'll be like, oh man, I can't wait to see that. I can't wait to see that. We're getting that here being like, we're going to be doing this FIFA tournament and we're going to be doing some Killer Instinct stuff. There's a
2: review of the game. You've got to stick around. It really gets you hyped up for it. It it does play into that whole magazine format of the show. I, last season there were a couple of moments where you know there'd be a little bit of a coming up later kind of or you know or we've got this later or we've got jet from gladiators on later but we didn't kind of get the rundown as it were and i really really dig that we now do yeah and it's much
0: easier to do now because there's only like two challenges there's like three basic segments to this show and that's a much easier thing to promote as opposed to being like we've got this challenge then some reviews then we've got another challenge on this then the celebrity's going to be here then we've got the consultation zone then we've got a final challenge like it's a, it's it's a bit much to get through whereas this is quite a nice tight and concise show now
2: yeah absolutely and it's uh, i mean it certainly makes our life somewhat easier when actually making notes to record the thing but it's also great because even just on the first watch we immediately know what we've got coming up and we can also therefore kind of immediately gauge how good the episode might be
0: well Dom talked about the superior arcade version of Killer Instinct. Let's find out a little bit more about what we can expect from our first challenge. The latest weapon in the beat-em-up
4: player's arsenal is the combo, a well-tough series of kicks and punches executed in quick succession against the other bloke. It's a skill remembering the move sequence and split second time and required type situation. Killer Instinct is Mr. Undisputed Leader of the Field with some of the most complex and devastating moves around. The game also features combo breakers, which allow you to quite literally interrupt your opponent's combo onslaughts, as well as unleashing the impressive shadow moves. But the jewel in the crown of Killer Instinct has to be the Ultra Combo, a fantastically huge series of blows activated automatically at the end of a bout by pressing, ooh, lots of buttons. It requires a level of skill that only Frank Best Player can achieve. We're hoping to crown King Combo today.
0: They are well into combos in this point of our gaming history. Here, they bl- like this is we're six episodes into this series, and I feel like every episode of the show so far has been like, oh man, combos eh,
2: in fighters. It's the new thing. It's the new gimmick. And you know, before yeah, you had combos. Like even going back to Street Fighter Two, you could do what was called combos. There was nothing counting them, but you could chain moves together, and that's fine. But now it is a definable metric. Games are counting the hits. Although Killer Instinct, I would argue that it, it plays loose and fast with what an actual combo is, because a lot of those hits are being auto-generated. I do love that this one is titled King Combo, because I immediately thought, mmm, bacon double cheeseburger and fries from Burger King. You know, that's my King Combo, man. Actually, the last thing I wanted to mention before we do kick into this, on my uh radio show that
0: I had when I was on student radio back in my Pompey days, The combo breaker sound effect from Killer Instinct. I had on a soundboard that I would uh, play if someone was saying something that I was bored by. Like one of my co-hosts was talking about something that was uninteresting. I would go combo breaker, and I'd be like, right, we're going to play a song instead here.
2: You should probably just stop bringing that back whenever I go go off on a tangent. Just, just cut it in, cut me off at the edit, and afterwards we're on to the next section. So
4: please welcome three young men who regularly parade down the high street wearing t-shirts saying, "I'm fantastic at combos and then some." Rory Reid, David Flood, and Toe. Welcome to the show, Garlick. Okay, just for a change, uh, we're going to talk about ladies. Here, Rory, uh, you've got a girlfriend, just now, don't you? Yeah, I do. And your friends, don't, your mates, don't know who she is. Is that no, true? No, they think don't. So. Okay, so we won't we won't give that away or yeah, anything. Like. So, what is Anna like? Is she attractive? Um, yeah, I guess so. I uh-huh. suppose. Nice girl. Yeah, she's alright. Intelligent? Uh, yeah. What should do it with you then? <laughs> don't know. Fuck <laughs> All right, uh, David. Now uh, you've had another kind of an unhappy lady experience, kind of, to do with video games. Yeah, and I got beaten by a girl in the blockbuster video. Uh, How old final. was this girl? Uh, I don't know, about twelve or so. About being by a twelve-year-old girl. I must say, we're not being sexist here. Of course, girls can be equally as good at video games as boys. Uh, I mean, they're not, but they, they could be. Uh, Right finally garlic. Have you got a girlfriend? No, no What happened to your last one then? Don't know. I just didn't work out What's your record then for total amount of combos? I'm 48 hits with orchid 48 with orchid David 48 48 as well with Orchid, Rory? 47 with Orchid. 47 with Orchid, so you're slightly behind slightly these guys. Slightly behind, but it depends on the day, you know. That's right, under pressure, they could uh, capitulate, I think is a very long word for uh,
0: it. We have got Rory Reed, David Flood, and I believe Garlic Toe? I've got Garlic Toe down as well. Yeah, okay, cool. Um, Rory Reed, I think, is the most interesting person to talk about here, because this is not going to be his only foray into the world of television, because... I have not, I had stopped watching well by this point. But Rory Reid would go on to be a presenter on Top Gear from 2016 through to 2019.
2: Oh, wow. He was part of the um, kind of like the post-Stategate era. Yeah. He was part of like the
0: Chris Evans era of Top Gear. Like, I think after like Evans had stepped down, they just sort of like had a rotating crew come in. So he was on it with like Matt LeBlanc and a couple of other people or whatnot.
2: This is the new Ford Focus RS. It looks like a five-door family hatchback that's been down the gym. Scratch the surface, though, and it's got substance. A Cosworth-tuned 2.3-litre turbo engine that bangs out 345 horsepower. I'm dead impressed by that, to be honest. I, I, I confess, that one had completely passed me by, but also... I didn't really watch Top Gear after the steak incident. I tried to watch it. I tried the first couple of episodes, but it was just a case of... It wasn't even that I missed Clarkson and May and Hammond. I just tried to watch it and I thought, well, this is boring as
0: all hell. The, I think the problem was is they were trying to replicate the same formula, but with three people who weren't mates. Yeah, they're trying to manufacture. Exa- manufacture is a great word for it. And that was sort of where it all fell down. And... It's funny, like, I found this through a YouTube comment that said, like, is that the same Rory Reed that's on Top Gear? And I was like, it's most likely a coincidence. But I went looking and I dug a little deeper and it is, and I found out it is because Rory Reed's official Facebook page shared this clip of him playing Killer Instinct on Games Master. And who would be a person to comment on that video but David Flood? I thought we were about to say Dave Perry then. Who said, will you just stop it? Because he basically talked about how the fact that he, you know, oh, i I sort of blame the controllers here spoilers for later on in this challenge but i would definitely be any of them now and david flow re- responds to that with will you just stop it he couldn't beat me back then and he won't beat me now and rory reed replies
2: find a machine i'll deliver you a beating you'll never forget ah oh, see hog used to have a killer instinct cabinet but i think it died before they uh they moved to croydon because i remember it was there when i first went to hog in its old location more yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I think it was on its legs then. I will I'll actually check in with Hogg a bit later. Maybe maybe we can help set this up. Maybe we can we can facilitate at the next under consultation live the rematch of the decade. Ah I love that they're still in touch as well. And I'm gonna go out on a limb and assume that whilst they are combo kings, maybe they also went to Paula's drama talent school. Oh, that's a good I hadn't considered that. It might be worth reaching out to David and finding
0: out, really. Or Rory. Either Don't of worry. them. Rory, yeah. Absolutely yeah. You're right, yeah. Uh, but we're going to be changing our topic here slightly because Dom wants to talk about ladies for a change. Oh, lads, 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 lads. Um and Dom does drop a huge clangor in here because uh, David got beat by a girl in a Blockbuster video. That as as a sentence, by the way, I absolutely adore because that means there was an arcade machine in Blockbuster. I I proper miss video rental stores anyway, but a video rental store that's also got an arcade machine in it that sounds like a brilliant Blockbuster location.
2: I was gonna say both of my local independent video stores uh often had arcade games in them. Showcase had one in usually. And quite often, I think it was actually WrestleFest, but that went away after a while. I think um it changed hands and the new owner who I didn't get on with got rid of the arcade machine. But Vidivision, Vidivision always had two. They were right at the front of the shop and one of them would always be a Neo Geo or SNK title. World Heroes often. Oh I did like World Heroes. And sometimes Luke, windjammers.
0: Oh, wind jammers. Oh wind jammers that I mean my, my local Plaza Video. They never had any arcades. Having said that, though, it was the size of a shoebox. Like it was, they had to, they crammed the space in with videos. They maximized their minutes that they had there, but there was no room for an arcade machine. There was barely room
2: to put like a standee or something to like advertise the latest release. I was actually amazed to find that the owner of my local video rental shop, the one that I just mentioned, as of recording, I believe is still alive, which is amazing because he was fairly old when I was going in there as a teenager. and also. He smoked like a chimney. He always had a roll-up in his hand, like to the point where he had the proper nicotine staining on his fingers. And I can only assume that the constant influx of tar has essentially varnished him inside. And that's how he's still going. But he only actually retired like two or three years ago wow yeah i mean it changed from being a video rental shop to mainly being a uh, photography and photographic supplies and development and the standard convert your videos to dvd or mp4 type stuff you know the ones yeah but yeah. he was still going until a few years ago fair dues frank i was about to ask what yours got turned into because mine once obviously the video
0: rental store boom died became a bakery and then became my local indian all uh, oh, right right it was absolutely a brilliant indian restaurant as well because i plaza video was within walking distance from my front door it was about a five minute walk so we used to go down there on a friday night to rent videos and then later on in life we just spend walk down there on a friday night to go and get an, a,
2: a takeaway instead i'm just going to quickly tell you what uh what mine became Well, it appears mine, and this is not. This is the original location that I went to when it stopped being a video rental store. It did move elsewhere on the high street, where like a little less big because it didn't need the space anymore. But it looks like good old Vision became an age UK, or at least it was at times of last Google Street View. That is assuming that I've got the location absolutely right. And I think I have, because I'm looking along the other shops and I'm like, no, none of these look like they'd fit. Anyway, there's a
0: Dom's clanger that he dropped in there, which you'd have heard in the clip, but was about how girls can be as good at video games as boys are. They're not, but they could
2: be. I'm like, Dom, a girl won last week. I know you filmed these out of order, but... Bloody hell, mate! Are we certain that they didn't get the auto cues mixed up, and that was for Fifty Shades of Dave Perry? That yeah, like it's it sucks that we are back to like series three, Dave Perry, but now
0: it's on Dominic Diamond instead. Like I really, really don't like it. What the sort of banter I did
2: like was that uh, apparently Rory has a girlfriend.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, the other two don't know who she is, so I'm guessing that is implying that they're all three friends. But you know, we're not going to give it away. So, what's Anna like? <laughs> I absolutely love Dom just name-dropping her. I thought that was a really funny addition. But yeah, Rory is not doing his relationships any favours because Dom's like, is she attractive? I suppose so. Nice girl? Yeah. Attractive? Yeah. What's she doing with you then? Dunno. Yeah, he just sort of goes dead shy at that point. Um, He's full Kevin the teenager. He has, yeah. Like his
0: girlfriend's name's just been name-dropped on TV, so he's just like, well, I'm just not going to answer your questions anymore. And he basically keeps that mentality through to the end of this challenge. Garrick, meanwhile, doesn't have a
2: girlfriend. Last one just didn't work out, but he can pull off a 48 hit combo with Orchid. So who's the real winner? Well, David can also pull off a 48 hitter with Orchid. And Rory? Rory can only pull off 47, but he's got a girlfriend.
0: uh, Yeah, it is, I suppose. So, I mean, you've got to wager what you think is more important in life. A girlfriend, a forty-seven hit combo, or a Games Master golden joystick. But I feel like Rory on the back foot here really makes him the
2: underdog of this challenge by being one hit out. Oh, but that one hit's crucial here, isn't it? It is. But he does say it's all down to how it goes on the day. You know, he could claw it back. I mean, it doesn't. But we'll get to that. Yeah. Um, let's see what the actual challenge
0: is from gamesmaster.
3: The idea here is brutally simple. Whoever manages to pull off the combo with the highest number of moves will earn the golden joystick. Each contestant has one bout in which to prove their combo credentials. I love that you've got your one shot at this. Like, I know that is all
0: challenges on this show, you've got one shot at this. But the fact that Games Master's like, you've got one chance to pull this off, literally made me go, better make a note of that. Even though that's every challenge on this.
2: Well, no, technically you could have, because it is one bout. As opposed to multiple bouts, multiple chances, kind mm, of. I suppose, yeah. I mean, if you think of some of the distance based athletics challenges we've had on various games, they get three shots or something, you know. So technically, there is sometimes more than one, but you're right. It is a bit of a, a kind of a nonsense stipulation in that, well, logically, you know, it wouldn't make sense for Rory just to be able to go, can I have a do over. Like our lads in series one and two.
4: And who better to help us count the combos than our own arcade beat em up expert, Derek Lynch from Funland? Derek. Uh, they've all chosen Orchid as their character. Why is that? Well, Orchid can pull off the largest combos. Right, nothing yeah. do to do with the fact she is the most attractive <laughs> character in a top <laughs> outfit uh, as well. <laughs> what's actually, what's the most amount of combos you've ever seen? 48. 48 com- combos. And was that in Funland? That's right, done we- by Garlic Toe. Also, oh, so Garlick actually did that That's in right. front of your very
0: eyes. That's 48. right, he here today. Yeah. That's a fantastic amount. Yeah. And I like that we've got Derek Lynch from Funland back in the booth again. And the reason why I
2: like David Lynch from Funland... Hey, Derek Lynch, you just said David Lynch twice. <laughs> I would in. love David Lynch on Games Master. He's turning up everywhere else.
0: I'm keeping that in. The reason why I like Derek Lynch from Funland is that he does make Dominic Diamond take this more seriously. He's also super knowledgeable about things, and... He knows all three of these lads because I'm guessing these three lads go to Funland.
2: Yeah, I really, really dig seeing Derek Lynch back in the box because he's he's not there to kind of have a bit of banter and a laugh, and he's not also kind of like trying to get himself over like some people, not naming names. But he knows what he's talking about. He's very personable. He's got a really, really good dynamic with Dom, and it it just. It brightens up the show and also it elevates the challenge because it's like, oh, it's a fighting game challenge. Derek Lynch is here. That means this 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 is serious. The other thing I was thinking, you know, you mentioned earlier, I wonder if they're from Paula's school. I
0: got the impression that like Derek had handpicked these three kids, being like, you know, they said to him was like, Oh, who's the best people you've ever seen at Killer Instinct? He was like, Oh, it was these three guys here, because I've seen that lad get 48 at, at Funland. And then he was like, actually, Rory's really good at it as well. And so is David. Like, those are the three people I'd pick to come in. So it's just purely coincidence that Rory went on to have a career in broadcasting. I, may, I mean, maybe, as I said, like, that was the impression I got. But as soon as you then you mentioned Paul score. And I'm like, oh, maybe that also makes sense as well. Like, I'm, I'm curious to find out, to be honest. Hurry up, book. It's <laughs> <laughs> not the first time I've said that as well. I am looking for a new book to read. All right. So Rory is up first. And it's kind of hard to provide audio analysis on this challenge because what you essentially have here is a one round fight where you're kind of waiting for the end of the fight to come around which is when they can then throw in the the combos and stuff it's nice to see some of them the tactics that they use to get to that point and but the moment you're waiting for is Derek to be like and now he's trying to set the combo up and Rory here sort of bollocks is it a little bit at the end because he misses the fireball he does get ultra and gets 41 so he didn't even beat his personal best here and i instantly i'd I'd written him off winning this
2: yeah i mean you know as he said himself it's all down to how it goes on the day and for him it went poorly and like he
0: looks gutted because he knows There's no way he's winning
2: this now. I mean, but he does do some smart tactics in it, which is, you know, he takes the first part of the fight, but he loses the second part, which is a deliberate tactic, I think, because it gives him more time. It gives him more time to find his flow, to find his feel, because it stretches it out to essentially a three-bout match. Exactly.
0: And what I love about this, again, uh, putting over uh, not David Lynch, but Derek Lynch... Is we then get like these slow motion replays of it with Derek talking through
2: bits and then you're like,
4: while well, he does that, we'll take a look at Rory's replay here, Derek. Okay. And uh, you can tell me exactly where he missed those vital hits.
2: Yeah, the mistake Rory made, he missed out on his combo breaker. So that's cost him next two hits. So he's at the end. 46 fireball. already. Exactly. And then uh, he started too close, started his combo too close. And plus he missed a fireball at the end. So altogether, that's a total of seven hits he's missed out on potentially.
0: And he's literally like counting the the moves that they miss and the hits that they miss it almost adds like a sports feel to it it's like esports before esports
2: yeah or or kind of like athletics where the you know they've seen the they've seen the practices and therefore they know what the routines are so you know they they know what to expect or, or ballroom dancing or even figure skating ice skating they, yeah, exactly. you get that a lot where it's like oh they missed that toe drop type you know that's wrestling never mind but you know you know what I mean. I know, David, yeah, Anyway, yeah. the bar's been set. It's not a very high bar, but it's all how it goes on the day. And David is stepping up to the plate next. Yeah, David also doesn't get the combo
0: breaker, which hurts his score, but he does land that fireball. So that does bump him up slightly above Rory
2: to 43. Yeah, so automatically Rory is out. David is in the lead, but we're still a, like, a fair ways off of these kind of master combos. We've been told these guys are you know, accumulating down at Namco Funland.
0: Yeah, which means it's all up to our final lad here. And what David is looking for here is just for him to bollocks this up. And he doesn't because off the bat, he shows that he can do a combo breaker. You know, it's, it's the first time that we've seen this. And he's just like, by the way, I can do this. And it kind of sets up to be like, oh, OK, this kid is really good.
2: Yeah, he gets his combo breaker, he gets his shadow moves, he could get the full 48. It's all down to the positioning. And he basically, there's this real moment where he's just bouncing around the screen, dodging the CPU, but not wanting to hit the CPU. Because if he does, it's game over. Yeah, exactly. He just takes his time getting into the right position. And when he does hit off his final combo, he gets the kicks, the blades, the ultra combo activator, the three fireball finish. He doesn't get the 48. He does get the 46, which is still admirable thing to perform under pressure because I would argue that the atmosphere in Namco Funland is probably a lot more noisy and chaotic than it is in the Games Master Studio. Sorry, heaven. But it's where you're used to playing things. Whereas a TV studio with the different lighting, there's probably more reflection off the monitor than you would get in the, than in the dimmer lighting of an arcade. I still think 46 is a really, really respectable score, certainly better than I could do. Oh, 100%. We talked about this before, but I
0: am absolutely cack at Killer Instinct because I, I haven't spent the time learning how to do all the combos and stuff. And therefore, I end up going into it trying to play it like Street Fighter And that isn't what Killer Instinct
2: is there to be. And even Lynch does point out that the two hits that he lost, that he was away from that perfect 48 with, was not down to anything Garrick did. It was purely the CPU moving.
0: Yeah, he just moved forward, and that's what messed him up.
4: Listen, commiserations there, Rory. Uh, You got a 41 hit combo against against Ripton. Ripton. So why couldn't you squeeze that extra few the joystick wasn't functioning, I couldn't quite pull off the last move to link it to the Ultra, (laughs) see? That is pathetic. That's not. You can't just blame machinery. This is a prime piece of arcade technology here. You can be sued by these guys for saying that. Do you know that, Rory? You must have broke. I'll start saving up your money now. Your backside is theirs in the courts. Uh, David, all right, don't complain anymore, Rory. (laughs) David, right, you got 43 against Saberwolf. What went wrong with you? I started the combo off, I um, started at one. So how, how did you, what should you have done then? I was meant to uh, only one hit right from the beginning move, but three times. So it's quite complicated really, isn't it? Mm-hmm. OK, garlic. what can I say, 46 at a combo, you did say though you could get a 48, in fact Derek backed that up, why couldn't you get a 48 tonight? Oh, I tried to hit him once, like hit like David said, but um, my one hit three times again, like he said. So miss, miss time to start again. Yeah. So are you gutted then, that you yeah. didn't get the 48? Well, despondent perfectionist, that you are, garlic. It was certainly good enough for us today.
2: In the post-match, we immediately get onto the excuses. Oh, mate. So we've had this in the past here where
0: people have been like, oh, the joystick didn't work for me, unplugged in, game's broken, this, that, and the other. And they've usually been like, oh, yeah, is that what you're saying, is it? Dom lambasts this kid. He literally says, that's pathetic. (laughs) saying that it's broken
2: yeah he also says you can't go blaming arcade hardware that's you know you could get sued david just fesses up and says i started it wrong and garrick who has won is like i I wish i'd got the full 48 yeah he's hard on himself uh really (laughs) he's just like i should have got the full 48 i'm like mate you won
0: and you did way but you showed you are way better at this game than the other two and those two are actually pretty good at this actually really good at getting a 41 combo who you know rory got which is the loser of this that's still very impressive i mean it's not good enough for the golden joystick
2: but it's still very impressive still very impressive you got a girlfriend out of it but despondent perfectionist that garrick may be he is now a despondent perfectionist with a gamesmaster golden joystick and almost a kiss on the cheek from one of the angels but they decide against it yeah well you know you get
0: certain types don't you when they're spending a lot of time down in the arcades moving on
4: Now, let's see if the Super NES conversion of Killer Instinct is similarly fantastic or simply trousers as we go over to Rick
3: and Dave. Killer Instinct, I'm telling you, is the best beat em up I have played this year. Forget platforms like the Saturn or the PlayStation, this is on the SNES and it's fantastic. Killer
5: Instinct is awesome. Nintendo can finally lay the ghost of Street Fighter 2 to rest. It is incredible. It's 20 hit combos, it's ultra combos, it's got everything, and
3: the SNES version loses nothing in translation. There is still the challenge in mastering all the combo moves. There are all the special moves, there are the finishing moves. It's got so much depth to it that it makes games like Mortal Kombat, Toshinden, and even Virtua Fighter look very pale indeed.
0: Well, let's see what the SNES version of the game is like with Dave saying that this is the best beat-em-up this year, which is a bold statement
2: when we have had things like Virtual Fighter and Tekken released. Do I think that this game, particularly what they are getting out of the SNES, is better than Virtual Fighter? Maybe. I'd say it's probably more playable now than Virtual Fighter the original is. Certainly more accessible. Yeah. Is it better than Tekken? Hmm, that I don't know. But let's just not ignore the fact that the fact that this game has been transferred to the SNES is a minor miracle. Well, I mean, as we, we read, it was too big to go onto the N64. I mean, that's why technically it's not on the SNES. What we've got here, a downscaled version of Killer Instinct. Graphical detail has been reduced, the character sprites are smaller, 3D panning camera and like the Killer Instinct arcade machine being the first one with a hard drive inside so it could do those full motion video panning backgrounds. That's all gone. It's simplified 2D parallax scrolling. But they use a rastering effect on the ground and parts of the arena, therefore it kind of emulates a 3D. It certainly looks has more depth of feel to it than, say, a Street Fighter type background or even a Mortal Kombat type background situation. Uh, The full motion videos, they're gone. Uh, The voice samples have either been shortened or removed. The music quality is lower. Most of the moves have been retained. Uh, Some of the special graphics effects have been removed. But in contrast, for all the things that were taken away, other things were put in, including training modes, tournament modes, which are designed specifically for those multiplayer kind of like sessions on a Friday night with the lads. It's amazing, isn't it? Because when I played Killer Instinct on the
0: SNES, my cousin got it for Christmas uh, this year, in fact, in, in '95. And I remember going around to theirs you know, at Christmas and playing it, probably amazed by it. And when I played it there, I never thought at any point this is a downgrade from the arcade version. Obviously, it is graphically and otherwise, but they pack so much into this SNES version. You know, I mean, Dave says here, it's got everything in the SNES version, loses nothing in the translation, which isn't really true, but it doesn't feel like it loses
2: anything. I think it's a very fair thing to say. Yeah, gameplay wise, it doesn't lose anything. That's the important thing. Graphically, sure, why not? But, it but, it's, not like, good. It's, yeah, but it's not like characters are missing. It's not like yeah. major chunks of gameplay are missing. Like, I love Street Fighter 2 on the Game Boy. I think it is a bloody miracle that that game plays as well as it does on there. But there are characters missing, there are moves missing. Obviously, you don't have different strengths of attacks. It's a very much a downscaled and downsampled version. But Killer Instinct, there is a high chance that if you are good at it at the arcade, you'll be able to pick up the SNES version and with some minor adjustments, just roll straight on.
0: I think I do disagree with the the concept, though, that this is the best beat-em-up this year. Like, I know you were talking about earlier, like, you're not sure if it's better than Tekken. I don't know if I think it's better than Mortal Kombat 3 on the SNES. I think if given the option, I'd probably play Mortal Kombat 3 over Killer Instinct. But that also is probably the type of player that I am.
2: Also, I will say Mortal Kombat 3 is closer to its arcade brethren than Killer Instinct is. It had further to fall, shall we say.
0: That's true, yeah. And the the other great thing about this uh, review we get here is you get to see Orchid doing her finishing move, which was like that. Do you want to talk about schoolyard chatter? That was the thing that you were like, oh man, have you
2: heard? Is you see a pair of tits and they die. I mean, I just assumed as a schoolboy that that was what happened anyway. <laughs> <laughs> it is 60
0: quid though. So it's a pricey old one. But for 96%, you're probably going to be getting your money's worth.
2: I mean, especially if you can pull off that finishing move. Although, you know, why spend 60 quid to see a pair of tits when you could just like look in hedgerows? Yeah, I was going to say, go down to your local woods. Was it reviewed in the magazine? You bet your ass it got reviewed in the magazine. It actually will be, I guess, our last appearance for issue 34. Uh, Originally, I think we were going to start issue 35 this week, but hey, appropriate content. And it's our man, Les, who is reviewing Killer Instinct for the Super Nintendo, who says, well, looks like the programmers have done a great job with the graphics, doesn't it? After all, it was a bit of a tall order, expecting them to convert a whole load of multi-million colour silicon graphics rendered images onto a 256 colour machine, but they did it. So what if the incredible coin-op looks to have been cut down a bit? They're still good. Must have taken them ages. It's just a shame they didn't spend more time tweaking the gameplay and working on the sound, because that's where Killer Instinct suffers. Not suffers as in, oh my god, what have they done, this is the worst beat-em-up ever type of suffering. That would be going over the top killer instinct suffers because there were a couple of small but annoying problems that stopped this from getting the respect that the coin op demands mind you saying that it's a little known fact that the coin op has in fact bombed quite badly huh it was a very expensive machine and i do not believe it did the money they expected it to i mean take yourself back to 95 96 and when you would go a place that had arcade machines You'd see your Street Fighters, yeah. You'd see your Mortal Kombat. At that time, how many times did you see Killer Instinct? My uh, Killer
0: Instinct arcade was actually down at my local Laser Quest.
2: Wow, I don't genuinely don't remember seeing Killer Instinct until a good few years later. That was pretty much the only time I did see it, though.
0: Um, my local bowling alley didn't have it, but yeah, my, it was at my local Laser Quest.
2: But they'd have their Street Fighters, and they'd have their Mortal Kombat. At, my, at the bowling alley, the Laser Quest literally
0: had the one arcade there, and it was Killer Instinct.
2: Oh, wow. For me, Quasar and Gloucester had a couple of arcade machines. Uh, the Mega Laser, Laser Quest, whatever the one was in Cheltenham, that had like a proper arcade bolted onto the front. But even that, I don't think, had Killer Instinct. Uh, Mensky, if you are listening and I'm wrong, let me know. Yeah, no, ours was just like, you know, in the lobby area. Yeah, I think that was where Quasar had their arcades, but their lobby was a little bit bigger. So I think they had like maybe half a dozen arcade machines. But let's go on to say the SNES version of Killer Instinct suffers from exactly the same quirks that made the coin-up ultimately frustrating to play. First off, it's very slow. If you compare it to the likes of Mortal Kombat 3 and Street Fighter 2, then it really plods along. I know those games may be graphically a bit simpler than Killer Instinct, but beat ups are about speed. You just can't have fast and frantic fights on Killer Instinct.
1: Hmm. Hmm.
2: Yeah. It, it, depends on, it depends on your style of play, though. Because if you are really good
0: at the combos, then it doesn't feel like a slow game.
2: But if you're just moving the characters around, it does it a will bit. Do. Yeah. Like,
0: uh, we were saying earlier, like I, my problem I had with Killer Instinct when I was playing it back in the day is that I was trying to play it like Street Fighter, which isn't the way to play Killer Instinct. And I think if you're trying to play it like Street Fighter or Mortal Kombat, then yeah, it may
2: feel slow. Uh, but that's not where Les ends his criticisms. He says the other problem with Killer is that the blocking and some of the combo moves seem to have a bit of a random element there is nothing more frustrating than being hit by a load of moves while you've been holding your block direction. These two minor gripes combined do not kill her down a bit. It looks fabulous and will be a real shot in the arm for the SNES, showing that you don't need a super console to do the biggest games. Experienced coin-oppers will be able to move straight into this, pulling off those complex combos with ease. Beginners will have to work extremely hard to become proficient, as anyone who has played the coin-op only to be destroyed by the arcade big head will know. While Killer Instinct may do a total Nigel Ben on nearly every other beat'em up, I'm suffering from uh, Games Gamesmaster Grammar again. While Killer Instinct may do a total Nigel Ben on nearly every other beat'em up there has been, it's on the receiving end of a painful Mike Tyson from Mortal Kombat 3, which is, in my opinion, a far superior game in every way. Killer may push the Snares graphics boundaries, but Mortal Kombat 3 has got all the gameplay. If you're gonna buy one beat'em up, then make sure it's Mortal Kombat 3. This is a distant, runner-up that is quite a damning indictment and that is
0: it reeks of les not getting on with the game or kind of what we we're talking about there trying to play it like a different style of beat um which i think is it's fair in a way but also not at the same time like i think he has been quite harsh on the game there uh it might have been like a similar opinion i would have had at the time in fact i can tell you it was but that is they're just two very different style of games they're two very different style of beat-em-ups and the fact that he's just like well it's not like Mortal Kombat 3 therefore
2: this one isn't as good i think is slightly unfair i will say that if i just flick back and forth between the two games because they're both reviewed in this magazine On screenshots alone, Mortal Kombat 3 is going to win me over. I genuinely think that Mortal Kombat 3 looks better in the screenshots, the backgrounds and the characters gel together well, and it just looks more polished. I look at Killer Instinct and it doesn't look polished. Like the characters do, as well as they can do when they're downsampled, but the presentation of the game itself doesn't it, it doesn't feel like as much thought has been put into it but shall we get on to the scores because it's your favorite game to play because you do <laughs> really well at this <sighs> give me strength here we go again so graphics close reproduction of what the much more powerful coin up does there's life in the snares yet
0: right that probably has got to be in the i mean it's it's killer instinct on the snares i would have thought this is in the 90s but i don't think it's gonna be high 90s i'm gonna say 94 it's
2: 90 but you know mm. you're you're T- to be honest, you're right. It wasn't the high nineties. You just chose a number that's one away from being in the high nineties. Well, I, I was one away
0: from being in the. I was one away from being in the mid nineties. Uh, yeah, uh, Ninety two was going to be my original guess, and I thought, well, it is Killer Instinct on the snares. Sounds
2: a bit of speech, but the effects are just repetitive and annoying after a short while. Now, I don't. Th- oh, oh, that is
0: clearly not in the nineties, and it actually sounds like it's barely in the eighties, because that is like. I don't like much of this at all, uh, but I, I, you know, I've been listening to the SNES version of the soundtrack uh, while I was doing preparation for the edits of this episode, and it's a really, really good conversion of the soundtrack. It's not even like a good SNES conversion, it's just a, a good conversion overall. <laughs> So I'm going to say it's in the 80s, but I'm going to go low and say 83.
2: Uh, It was 79. I I did say it it didn't sound like it was was going to be in the 70s. Fair enough. Gameplay. Dodgy blocking and the slightly ridiculous combo system makes this tough to get to grips with. 75. 79. But you were in the right percentile. Lifespan. Not as challenging as Mortal Kombat 3 in one player, but as ever, these things are best played in two player. Uh, Sounds like it's in the 80s. 83. 86. Okay. You're getting closer, man. With each of these that we play, you're getting into the the mindset. The mindset of a Games Master reviewer being a cynical bastard in 1995. And I think he's very cynical about Killer Instinct on the stairs. I think he's been massively unfair on it. Well... We've still got the overall, which actually raises another issue which he doesn't mention in the main review. If you have an NTSC machine, then you can add at least 5% to this score as it runs a lot faster and the graphics are more fluid. However, PAL SNES owners can expect a game that's slower than it should be. Mortal Kombat 3 is vastly superior. Although, Les, Mortal Kombat 3 may be vastly superior, but your spelling is vastly inferior as he actually writes the word absolutely uh, i'm gonna say this is probably
0: 85 percent oh so close 83 oh, okay well i thought he might have gone like mid 80s on it because when he said like you had an extra five percent on maybe that would have bumped it into the 90s having said that he didn't like the gameplay so yeah it would have been more mid to lower
2: and just to remind you that on the snes version of mortal kombat 3 also reviewed by les he gave graphics 95 sound 93 gameplay 97 lifespan 94 overall 95 (laughs) percent
4: in the Park is a new adventure released this week. It stars ex-Baywatch actress Erica Aleniak, who I have a lot of respect for because she has a great mind and is dangerously witty. The action takes place in Skyview, an aging amusement park threatened with closure unless you, the player bloke, can find the missing deed that proves ownership. My ruling is final. You've got until 10 o'clock tomorrow morning to present evidence showing ownership. Jimmy's scumbag bloke has nicked the deed And it's up to you to uncover the murky deed surrounding its theft
2: the Blackmail, a touch of arson, maybe even murder
4: To do this, you'll need to get clues from the park's various characters And endure the usual standards of CD-ROM
1: acting
3: Hey there, glad to see you Welcome to the street of dreams
1: mm. Harry! Just be careful, this place is filled with angry people
0: Hey man,
4: what are you doing over here this later night? Shut up. These temperamental tights will only talk turkey if you play their increasingly difficult games. Jerks.
5: Not as easy as it looked, huh?
4: Helping you along the way, our twin sisters Jamie and Jenny, both played by Erica. Jamie's rather sweet.
1: Look, I know this isn't your problem, but at least you can still get into the park.
4: Whereas Jenny's a pin in the posterior.
1: Some people say I'm greedy, well, maybe so. But mostly I'm a realist. And I'm gonna get what's mine.
4: Get with the plot, lady. Panic in the Park boasts over 200 possible outcomes, more than 30 characters, and a large field full of puzzles and games. If that's not enough for you, there's always Erica. So,
3: what's
1: the deal? In or out?
0: Yes, please. CD-ROM of the Week is back, and it's the first time it feels like this is a genuine CD-ROM of the Week, as opposed to being like, "Look at this weird beer one," or this, you know, weird Mackenzie Co. one, or wherever it was. This feels like, you know, a genuine FMV game that they're being like. Here is a CD-ROM that you can go and buy. I mean, it is there to highlight bad acting and, and things like that. But this is Panic in the Park, which not only stars former Baywatch star Erica Aliniac, I'm gonna say, but also stars Michael
2: Clark Duncan. Yeah. I I I mean, you know, rest in power, Michael Clark Duncan, absolute mountain of a man. And this game looks kind of
0: fun. I would have I would have enjoyed this. If I'd have been given this as a present, I would have really gone on with this.
2: Yeah, I mean, just to give a quick heads up on the general concept, which you'll probably already have gathered by the clips, is that you don't just get one Erica for your money, you get two because she's playing twins, albeit with vastly differing personalities. She plays both Jamie and Janie in the game. Uh, Michael Clark Duncan, as we mentioned, he's a security guard. And there are actually around 30 actors in the cast. So it's actually a fairly major cast for um, a full motion video type game situation. But it's also kind of a little bit Scooby-Doo because the whole plot is Skyview Park was a successful amusement park with great popularity until various accidents and mishaps occurred. The city board is going to close the park down and Jamie, who has inherited the park, struggles to keep her evil identical twin sister, Janie, from demolishing it and turning it into a parking lot. There's a court dispute because that's what all good video games have, a court dispute. Yes, I know, Phoenix, right? Um, the court gives Jamie until the morning to present evidence that she actually owns the park. I mean, surely that would just be like a document or like a contract. Well, the thing that's what it is. You've got to go through the park and find the deed. I, maybe she shouldn't own the park if like, she can't even find the deed or keep track of it. I mean, I've lost my passport at the moment, but I know it's at least within, you know, two to three rooms or numerous boxes.
0: One of it has ended up being like, uh, you know, the end of Who Framed Roger Rabbit's where it turns out that they
2: actually had Acme's will on them the whole time. But the player is a journalist and they're sent over on an assignment to get all the facts and decide to help out Jamie in finding the deed and unmask the thief that stole it before the night is over. Oh, there we go. It was stolen. Okay, Yeah, fair. and it was, it was Old Man I sh- Withers. I should have finished reading the synopsis before commenting, maybe someone stole my passport. But it's over three CDs, it's got a lot of puzzle elements, it's got quite a bit in common with Mist. In that regard, it it is it's a point and click puzzle adventure in the style of Miss, but with more full motion video. Yeah, and some actual
0: actors in there, and this and the other. You have got some movie scenes in there as well, like the court case and stuff. Uh, and like the thing that kind of appeals to me is the the two hundred possible outcomes for this. You know, multiple endings in there, different gameplay experience every time you play it. I'm uh, I I would have probably really like this.
2: Is it really two hundred possible outcomes? Do we really believe they filmed that many endings? Or is this spurious PRBS? Either that or it's just, you know, there are there are certain different, like, you know, they filmed
0: the same conversation with slightly different lines across five takes. And you might encounter all five of those, you know, you will encounter a different one of those five uh, as you play it. Therefore, you sort of get 200 different outcomes because the game is slightly different this time round.
2: I, I suppose. Maybe, maybe the 200 possible outcomes is just like, they've actually, there's like maybe 20 or 30 clips and it's what order they play them in or which yeah. ones they do or don't play. Exactly. But the game was praised by Newsday, who said it was laugh out loud funny and contained sophisticated cinematic elements.
0: It uh, Honestly, it looks pretty good. Uh, this is one of the, like, you know, you try and find a ROM of this online somewhere. I also imagine this came in a massive box and I do love big box PC gaming. So Yeah, I'm on board. This is the first CD-ROM of the week where I've genuinely, by the end of it, gone, I want to check that out.
2: Really? You're not including any of the CD-ROMs that we saw as part of the Gore special? No, I mean specifically CD-ROM of the week. Oh,
4: The whole of heaven is going officially football bonkers in preparation for the first round of the Games Master Football Tournament, and our two footballing celebs, Dean Holdsworth and David Kerslick, are quite literally waiting to come on after the break.
3: on The Big Breakfast next week. Oh, we've got uh, Carrie Fisher in the house. We've got oh. comedian Nadia art. Oh, we've also got rock legend Meatloaf and the Suave, Michael Parkinson. We've got Mr Angus Dayton and supermodel Eva, you know, blah, 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 woman. <laughs> also, Keith Jagger will be in the house. That's 7 to 9, The Big Breakfast next week. The Big Breakfast. Mm.
5: one building society that's given more money
4: to more people for more mortgages than anyone else. So if you want the right mortgage for your new home, you know who to talk to. Get a little extra help from the Halifax.
1: you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com/slash host. Starting with
4: Saturday's Sun, play Bruno's Knockout Scratch. With eight free instant scratch games, you could win up to £50,000. Not bad, eh, Frank? Can't you see I'm busy, Harry? Get eight free scratch cards with Saturday's Sun and play Bruno's Knockout Scratch. <laughs> Knockout,
5: Harry.
3: from a woman who means business with a man who is the business the cut and thrust of devious dealings espionage and murder the only way to get to the truth and stay alive they may not play fair but they get results that was very very dirty you're quite right the Avengers Tuesday at 6 on Channel 4
4: Welcome back, I hope your break was as moist as mine If not then, please feel free to complain to the person sitting on your right now, football is about the greatest thing this planet has to offer, and it's no tiny wee surprise that there has been seven billion computer game versions to date.
0: There's been a comment about this previously in Games Master, where you know, because Don mentions here, there's been seven billion computer games made about football, and I'm pretty sure we've had a comment like that in a previous episode where they were like, "Christ, there's more, there's more football games for us to review here."
2: It's, I mean, certainly within the uh, the UK and Europe, and basically most places other than North America football games have always been big money especially because football is pretty big in japan and therefore with a lot of the video games coming from japan uh,
0: since doing this games master podcast we've seen multiple multiple football challenges not just with the annual football tournament but even go back to series one there were quite a few football challenges in those 10 episodes but that also means that we get a second review portion of this episode. Is this... This isn't the first time, surely, where we've had like a double review bit. I feel like we've had like a bonus review coming towards the end, like in Series 4, when they were just making stuff up on the fly.
2: I mean, reviews and previews, but I like how they've thematically kept them apart because, okay, Killer Instinct, standard. But then, yeah, we've got this kind of football set of reviews with the football challenge, with the preview. Also, we're going 32-bit, baby. We certainly are it it totally makes sense and football i think is one of the first sporting games that really started to start living into that next generation or at least doing it with any degree of success because none of the games we see here are bad this year's crop of new footy games should be the best yet but
4: looking down on all the ankle biting young quipper snapper pretenders is a spanky new 3d version of fifa soccer fifa 96 for the pc and next generation consoles featuring commentary by mr much better than barry davis john watson H.
5: Hughes.
3: Shot by Hughes. That's it. The final whistle's gone. It's a bit like the 3DO version. The players move smoothly and it actually looks like a real football game. Trouble is, a lot of it gets a bit pixely at times. But this is probably the best FIFA game you're going to find. It plays fantastically and if you put up with the pixels, you're going to enjoy it. FIFA games have generally been criticised for being far too linear.
5: People have talked about the fact that the computer controls the players more than you actually do. This one doesn't do that. The players themselves also have their own attributes. Each player from every team around the world will play just like the player in real life.
3: And the nice thing is the John Motson commentary actually uses all the players' names from all the teams around the world. So it really is like watching an actual football match. Were you taken aback by Dave not wearing his bandana at all?
2: I was. I thought, what's Johnny Rotten doing there or something? It's it's like with the bleach short bleached blonde hair. I know, it was so weird. I didn't realise he had his bleached blonde hair at this point, because he obviously wears the
0: bandana all the time, but all of a sudden I'm just like, Oh, there's Dave Perry, but it's not Dave Perry.
2: Maybe he was just trying things out, just like finding or, or maybe I don't know, maybe someone stole the bandana. Like literally they just ran it behind him just before he was gonna review and went yoink and pulled it yeah, off exactly, the back.
0: Yeah. He's about to go on camera and he's like, I can't find my bandana anywhere. Like, well, I don't know where it is, Dave. You're going to have to go and record this now. Tee-hee-hee-hee. T- <laughs> titter, titter, titter. It's in my back pocket, along with the D to panic in the park. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but yeah, you're right. He compares it to the 3DO version, says the players move smoothly. It looks like a real football game. Well, it is a real football game. It's a game based on football and it is real, not vaporware. Come on, Dave. But he says the problem is it does get a bit pixely at times but it's the best FIFA game you're going to find. Rick says there's been complaints levied at FIFA that the computer controls the players more than you do. That is true. There were some mm-hmm. parts of it where it did feel quite like, you know, you were just suggesting where the player goes. But that's not the case here. And each player has their own stats, just like in real life. And for the first time ever, we hear praise for in-game commentary, saying that there's all the players' names from teams around the world. It's like an actual football match. because, Dave, it is an actual football match in an actual football
0: game. Yeah, John Motson provides commentary on this version here. It feels like such a huge step up, and it's a, it's incredible to see, because they show footage here of FIFA 96 on the PC, and then show the 16-bit versions of this same game, you know, the, on the Mega Drive and the SNES. And, yeah, it's just it's FIFA again. Like, it looks exactly the same as FIFA International Soccer and FIFA 95 looked on the Mega Drive and the SNES.
2: Yeah, I... I <laughs> Man, I'm so glad they don't do that now. Hello oh, Nintendo's <laughs> Twitch.
0: <laughs> I know,
2: right? See, it's, it's incredible like the difference between
0: sort of the levelling up we're doing as we're heading into this 32-bit era.
4: FIFA's big rival on the PC and 32-bit consoles comes in the form of actua soccer. Here you go. Oh, so close there! Just wide of the boat! Top football blokes had some motions, which were sampled to create the game's realistic animation unfortunately
3: so was barry davis if you zoom in on a game like fifa you'll notice that the players tend into lego brick men but on actual soccer all that motion grabbing technology has really paid off because the players hold their form the realism is superb but does this make it a better game yes it
5: does make for a better game fifa has had its day and actual soccer has
3: come to take the crown
5: The players themselves are far more controlled and it just moves so much more like an arcade game rather than FIFA's sluggishness.
2: But up next, Luke, is the big competitor. It's Actua Soccer which we see some behind-the-scenes motion capture footage from. And we also get a snip of the game's commentator, Barry Davis, which Dom is a little bit disparaging about here by mentioning old Barry Davis. He's no John Motson as Barry Davis. No, but he has done a lot. I mean, he was best known for football commentary, but he also did a number of other sports, uh, badminton, ice hockey, tennis, gymnastics, hockey, beach volleyball, athletics, and was kind of one of the main voices behind the BBC's Olympics coverage. So he is like well known for being a sports commentator, but also was the voice of the boat race. But he's no John Motson. No, he's no, no John, John cause Motson. Because
0: like, John, John Motson is the voice of football, which is why it's such a good get for FIFA there.
2: I still think he's actually not a bad also ran. And also, no, worth- no. no. Also worth pointing out, Luke, if I remember correctly, Actua Soccer is on an upcoming Evercade cartridge. It is, isn't it? Yeah. Which is fortuitous timing because I was watching this game going, this looks like it could be quite fun. And hey, we'll get a chance to play it. We can do
0: indeed. Both of us do have Evercades now. I like Dave here saying that unlike FIFA, the players don't turn into Lego men when you zoom in. which is a wonderful descriptor of just rather than say they don't turn pixies like they literally turn into lego men. I thought that was a really really nice sort of visual thing to compare it to.
2: And I love here that Dave, Dave loves to question whether things have had their day. Has Street Fighter had its day? Has Mortal Kombat had its day? Has Bandana's had its day? And here has FIFA had its day? And Rick steps up and actually backs him up on and goes, "Yes, yes it has. Actual soccer has come to take its crown." It's more like an arcade game in place of the sluggish FIFA. So it's not a football simulation, even though it's called Actua Soccer, which does make it sound more sim-like. It's got faster, more arcadey gameplay, and it still looks fun, even though this is the era of early polygonal sporting games. Yeah, 93% hit for Actua Soccer compared to the
0: 86% that FIFA 96 got. So, like, not a huge amount of difference there. It's not like, you know... 93 versus 75, or anything like that. But they are very much telling you here actual soccer of the two games, actual soccer is the one to pick.
2: But let's not forget about the 16 bit, which, in addition to getting a reskinned FIFA, is also getting a new version of international superstar soccer, which includes dribbling on the ball and an overhead flick, which is also a category on Pornhub.
4: And indeed, we have plucked winning 11 from this bunch, gave it a loving rub and said, Can we use your game for the first two rounds of our tourney, please, mister? So, welcome our first two semi-finalists in a Wimbledon v Tottenham London Derby type situation, Dean Holdsworth and David Kerslake. <laughs> nice for coming along, David. Right now, Dean, I'm going to come right out and say you are a fantastically attractive young man. You've done a lot of modelling. What do the rest of the Wimbledon team think about that? Well, obviously, you know, when I do the modelling, um, I put myself up for a bit of stick and I get my fair share of it as well. Would you say your teammates are hideously ugly in comparison? I wouldn't say that. You can say that. I can say that because I'm I'm safe here. They can't actually (laughs) jump inside the telly. Not even Vinny, he can't even do that. Right, David, what kind of game are we going to see from you tonight then?
5: Uh, fast attacking
2: plenty of goals hopefully should be good fun
0: now Dean Holdsworth is a name that I remember David not so much but Dean Holdsworth really does bring back some memories
2: and he is a very photogenic individual I mean Dom turns to Dean at first and is just like you're not only a good football player but you are very good looking and brings up the fact that he's had a modelling career Uh, at this point as you said he's with Wimbledon started at Watford spent three years there before going over to Brentford and signed with Wimbledon in 1990 which he's in the middle of right now he spent five years there before transferring to Bolton Wanderers and was there until 2003 before moving on to Coventry and then eventually ended up back at Wimbledon before eventually ending up joining Derby County as player assistant manager
0: he was kind of the David Beckham before David Beckham in a way he was like the the real handsome chap of the football field, the ones that the ladies would uh, would swoon over.
2: He is also, unfortunately, not without his scandals, including one where he had a highly publicised extramarital affair with topless model Lindsay Dawn McKenzie. LDM, really now? Yeah. Worst of all, she was 17 at the time, Luke. Oh. Yeah, I know. So um, my, my opinion on him has changed somewhat. Yeah, I mean, uh, also like the... F***ing
0: hell. Like that was—that means that Lindsay was doing topless modelling before she was 18. Thanks, The Sun. Yeah, good one, guys.
2: But Dom does want to know what the rest of Wimbledon thinks about his modelling career, and he says, yeah, I guess I put myself up for a bit of stick by taking the gig, and... You know, I get that stick. And Dom wants to know if he'd say his teammates are hideously ugly by comparison and Dean will not be drawn on this. He's like, no, I'm not going to say that. You can say it, though. And Dom says, "Eh, not a problem. None of them can get me here. Not even Vinny. I mean, don't be so sure, mate. He is the juggernaut, bitch. He certainly is. Also, he is a former two-time Games Master Gold Joystick winner.
0: He could come back.
2: Also, as I've discovered recently, he has an amazing range of accents, all of which he will display while playing the same role, playing an Eastern European mobster on uh, Law & Order. It would be comedy if not for the fact that he's literally having people brutally beaten to death.
0: Yeah, it's one of those performances uh, from Vinny where he's just like, oh no, I could do that. And then no, no one ever really questions. To be like, oh, I'm sure he, he said he can do it. I'm sure he can do. Then you get up to him and be like, Oh no, it turns out he can't.
2: Yeah. Oh, it's too late. We have signed him up for five episodes now.
0: But yeah, like David is a name that does not ring a bell with me at all. And like, and I would say as well, when you come, when it comes to this challenge, he does feel like the second fiddle to this.
2: Yeah, I mean. He had his career with Leeds United, Tottenham Hotspur, uh, also played for QPR, Swindon Town, Ipswich Town, the Wycombe Wanderers. Wycombe Wanderers. And Wycombe Wanderers. Shows how much I know about <laughs> football. Uh, but then retired and is now an English football coach. So, you know, oh, he also apparently spent had a brief spell as caretaker manager at Cardiff. Now, I'm assuming that that means an interim manager whilst a new manager is appointed and not that his career nosedive so much, he was in charge of sweeping the changing rooms. Uh, but let's get a games master for some tips on this challenge.
3: The most effective way to score is by running the ball down the wings and tossing it to a player in front of the goal who said, whack it on the net without further ado. Another useful tactic is to use the after-touch function. Just after you've shot the ball, wait until it's near the keeper, then quickly use after-touch to give it that final, unexpected impetus. Players should beware of using a sliding tackle to bring down an opponent, since this will almost always result in a foul. Instead, try to get in front of the player before you put the boot in. I do love that when
2: Dom cues up the Gamesmaster tips, he says, Oh, I now have to find out how to get that onion in the bag, and I'm like, that's an expression. I'm gonna remember that one.
0: Gamesmaster here is putting over the after-touch function, which doesn't really get used much in this challenge unfortunately like you know it's sad to say that our boys here did not actually get these tips from games master and they probably could have done with them
2: yeah this is a next generation game with season one gameplay isn't it just it is it is scrappy although i will say that the singular goal we get is a beauty but it's by accident rather than design.
4: So, Dean Holdsworth and David Kaslick are just about to kick off. Joining me in the dugout is PC Review's Rick Henderson. Hello, Rick. Uh, hello, Dominic. Rick, uh, that was a nice little kind of move. Yeah, Your voice yeah, very uh, good, especially if uh, football. Up and down. It, was, it certainly was. <laughs> Rick, uh, how do you see this game going?
5: <laughs> well, uh, if, as long as Dean sort of like plays the Wimbledon way, tonks it upfield, looks for the big man, he'll be all right. Um, David, based on Spurs, uh, I think you just better score. Right, okay, fair enough. That's uh, quite nice and
0: yeah. succinct, We've got Rick Henderson into the booth saying that Dean should play the long ball and has literally nothing to say about David, the big spare wheel that he is in this challenge.
2: Yeah, also... Rick likes using the word tonks. He,
0: does, he uses it later on, doesn't he? Where he's just like, he, you know, go, just start tonking the ball. Tonk it up the field, look for the big man. Uh, I popped massively for the two teams they were playing as here because Dean is playing as Antlers, while David is playing as Jeff United.
2: I'm not a big football person. I don't, I, I don't, I think I own one England football shirt that is quite a few years old, possibly like mid 2000s. Something like that. But I would buy a Jeff United football shirt. Jeff
0: United, man. Like that is an, that's a name you want to hear. I mean, Antlers, that's pretty cool. But it's no Jeff United. It is not Jeff United. It just makes me think of Wayne's World too. <laughs>
4: <laughs> Hunt him out, Jeff.
0: I, I have not got a lot to say about this challenge because like it is, you're right, like you hit the nail on the head. It is a season five game with season one playing. I've taken loads of notes about it. But I'm sort of reading them back being like, I don't remember any of this actually happening though.
2: I mean, most of my notes are Dean gets a run on goal and takes a shot. David hoofs it up the field and after a bit of back and forth, he takes a shot. Then Dean takes the ball and he gets a shot. Whilst apparently the goalkeeper appears to be having some sort of seizure because he's like kind of doing a max headroom on the pitch. But it's back and forth for the first half, which blissfully is a short first half. And at half time it's nil-nil. Yeah, Rick
0: seems pretty amazed the fact that it is still nil-nil. Like I get the feeling that when Rick and the rest of the team have played this in the green room or wherever it is, you know, in the offices at at, at Hewland and that, they've probably had quite a high scoring goal count. So that when you get two people playing this game and it's nil-nil at halftime, it's like, Oh, oh! You, you can just get nil-nil on this game.
2: How is that? that that's impossible, Luke. <laughs> yeah.
0: He starts giving them some suggestions, starts shooting from the edge of the area rather than just trying to sort of run it into the goal. Uh, and David gets a great chance in this second half here but runs away from the ball, unfortunately.
2: Yeah, completely forgets which direction is left and which direction is right. But Dean eventually manages to capitalise on opportunity and David's keeper fumbles the ball. He does a deep kind of cross. I don't want to call it a shot because I don't think it was actually a shot. I think it was a cross that like one of the other players farted and it was just enough of a movement of air to make it go into the goal. Thing is, on the replay, it looks beautiful. But having watched the rest of the match up until that point, and what's still to come, it's like uh, you know, give an infinite m- number of monkeys a typewriter, and sooner or later they'll write the script for Hamlet. And I do love that, how much that Dom and Rick celebrate this goal, as if it's kind of like, thank God, this is saved from being awful. <laughs>
0: It's not going to be one of the worst football challenges we've had on this show. Uh, yeah, it is. There's only 17 seconds left like for a comeback to be made by David. And he does not. He does get a shot, but he doesn't use that after touch once again. So it just goes straight to the keeper. Nice and simple. Save. And that was it.
2: Yeah. Amazingly, Rick's continued advice of tonking it didn't actually help.
0: It wasn't, no. They should have just listened to
2: Rick. Just, just Tom Kit, man.
0: Right, David, at the start of the game, you were piling
4: on the pressure. Uh, why couldn't you convert it into goals?
2: A bit disappointed in me uh, front two, actually, but uh, I
5: would have thought these uh, goalkeeper gets the M.O.M.
4: Yeah, that goalkeeper, um, but your goalkeeper then, was he at fault for that goal?
5: Not, uh, not too much, but uh, he should have done better, perhaps, yeah.
4: If I have Dean, talk us through that goal then. How did you do it?
3: Well, it's a little bit of composure and a bit of confidence, obviously. Goalkeeper come out, went around him and then just slid it away in a nice angle.
4: <laughs> and uh, next week, we've got Phil Barb and Graham Lassau playing another semi final. Who would you rather meet in the final?
0: Um, I'd rather meet Graham Lassau. I think is a bit useful. But David does one of my favourite things in these challenges in the post-match here where he treats it like an actual football match. He doesn't talk about like his game-playing skills. He doesn't talk about anything like that. He says, I'm disappointed in my two up front. My keeper was my man of the match. The boys should have done better
2: like that is that's what I like to see from these. Yeah. And Dean does similar. He says the goal came from composure, confidence and getting around the keeper to slot it away from a nice angle. They do take this very seriously and they play up to it. It's a shame it just wasn't reflected when they actually had the goddamn controllers in their hands. Yeah, it was a pretty bollocks challenge. But next week, it's Phil Babb and Graham Lasso. So, you know,
0: maybe maybe that'll be better
2: maybe
4: until then remember life is a bit like playing football if you've got a mazy dribble you will go far bye bye
2: Pornhub.com
0: yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) diamondism etc etc but yeah I guess that does it for this episode like that second half was packed because there was two reviews in there there were previews of multiple games and you know the big celebrity challenge and stuff but there wasn't a whole amount to say about much of it and the first half was quite packed as well with all the Killer Instinct stuff and the Killer Instinct review on the Snares and the CD-ROM of the week. But I felt like there was so much more in the first half than there was in the second half.
2: Now, we've recorded this episode, spoilers, in, in two halves. It You know, it's a game of two halves, Luke. Uh, small boys, jumpers for goalposts, isn't it? You know, marvellous. Uh, and we've tangented quite a bit. There's a whole section on video rental shops so I'm not sure will survive the edit, oh, that, maybe. Oh, that is 100% surviving the edit. <laughs> And to be honest, we do that a lot when there isn't always a huge amount to say or we've covered the games before. And to be honest, we've talked about most of the games featured in this. You know, we talked about Killer Instinct before. We've talked about FIFA before. Uh, I mean, we've just talked about football games in general before and there is only so much you can say about football games in general unless they're doing something like really wacky, like making it kind of super powered anime style like... um, I've forgotten the name of the franchise but anime manga franchise as a game came out recently looked quite cool that what we discovered is that no football games will ever be as good as fifa on the 3do oh yeah well you know it's got the best graphics you'll ever see oh no that was a tennis game on the cdi on the cdi <laughs> yeah and we've done it again we've tangented off but it's kind of so we don't repeat ourselves but that doesn't mean that i think this was a bad episode i enjoyed no. this episode this episode was a lot of fun the killer instinct challenge was great Despite the scrappy nature of the football gameplay that we saw, the games were great. It was cool to see, you know, FIFA continuing to evolve. It was really nifty to see actual soccer, kind of the first game that is truly going toe to toe with FIFA. And then we see this kind of a Japanese football game, which we've kind of seen before with some of the Neo Geo titles. But this one was Like, it was new, it was fresh, it wasn't just something that was, like, sat in the back of a chip shop. It's the first time that it
0: hasn't felt like an arcade conversion. You know what I mean? Like, in in terms of, like, a Japanese football game, because, like, the ones that we have had on the Neo Geo felt like, oh, yeah, I mean, it looks like it's on the Neo Geo, therefore it looks like it would have been an arcade game. This one is a purpose-built football game for a console.
2: And 3D. Yeah, exactly. Proper 3D. So... Yeah, just because we've tangented a lot. I mean, I, I, I really enjoyed this episode. I'm enjoying a lot of Series 5. There's an occasional clunking moment. I'm looking at Dom and his Dave Perry a moment earlier. But the actual structure of the show, the tone, the way it clips along, I still really like the way that the reviews are done now. I think this is the strongest the reviews have ever been done, even if I don't always agree with the comments. It's a settled format. And this is just a nice episode.
0: It is. Yeah, I think that's a good way to describe it. Like it is, it's a, it's a nice episode. It, it's there, like the start of the football tournament is good. For me, it is saved by that Killer Instinct challenge in the start, like the first half of this show. I I, I really, really enjoyed the Killer Instinct stuff because our boy Derek Lynch was there like giving his expert analysis on things. And I just, I, I really, really dig that. So I am in, I'm at AC's in this, but I, I'm wondering if I am more on Les with Killer Instinct on the SNES in games master magazine uh so i'm thinking i'm, I'm around 83 percent for this episode
2: i was at 84
0: yeah so we were basically there or thereabouts
2: yeah we were we were solid solidly in the 80s not quite a, you know not not quite spanky enough for a delorean i tell you what if that challenge that football challenge had been a bit more high scoring i'd have prob i would still wouldn't have gone to the 90s i don't think no but i might have reached as far as a delorean I would have probably gone to DeLorean if there would
0: have been a bit more back and forth and goals as opposed to just back and forth and... Nothing. Uh I think I probably would have been higher towards a DeLorean as well. But that is going to wrap it up for this episode. Thank you all so much for listening. You all rule, you can check this podcast out on social media, on Twitter at UnderConsolePod pod, on Instagram at under.console. Why not send us an email
2: to feedback at com Or if you want to do some real-time interaction, real-time feedback, talk with us, talk with other listeners, talk with fans of gaming and retro pop culture in general, you can join our Discord details of which can be found on our social media and in the show notes and if you want to support this podcast monetarily you can do so over at
0: patreon.com forward slash under console pod where you'll get access to ucp extra which is this format but about other shows from the 80s and 90s our monthly community show under console nation and at the five pound level you get next week's episode one week early and ad free but at the 10 pound level there's a little bit of a bonus ash what is that
2: Oh, we've got our version 2 Patreon pack. It's shiny, it's golden, it's the under-consultation golden joystick mug, trademark pending, and it's filled with sweeties, retro trading cards, stickers, and badges. And despite a massive cock-up, not on our part, but on the manufacturer's part, we do now have a supply of mugs. Although, God damn it, Brexit, that's all I'll say on that one, because...
0: Oh, customs. Also, do not put it in the microwave. At the ten bar level, you also get your name read out on this podcast like these fine folks Zanderthol, William, Tom, Simon, Sean, Reese, Paul, Nick, Misha, Matty, Boo, Mark, Link, Kevin, Jamie, Ids Mashley, Harriet Mangagirl, Gordon Dempster, Gordon Brands, David Palmer, David Fisher, Darkside seventy three, Cliff, Chrissy Two Sticks, Arcadia Wild Bill, Andrew, and Adam D. Thank you all so much for listening. We will see you in seven days time as the tour tournament continues take care everyone good night